There's no question. I mean, the guy's phenomenal. And they tell me that if we put, let's say, 20 go-karts out that on that track that are exactly the same, they still tell me Lewis would win. You know, I think a lot of – there's fair arguments to be made that, that there's plenty of other guys that will be very competitive. I can't vouch for it, but I can only tell you that the guy's crushing everybody. Uh, I think it's certainly partially because of the car, but there's no question the man's got, got great skill. Hello and welcome to the ESPN F1 podcast. I'm Lawrence Edmondson and this week, uh, without a race to look forward to this weekend, we thought we'd do something slightly different. So we got Bobby Epstein on the show. Uh, in case you don't know that name already, he's the boss at the Circuit of the Americas down in Austin and the promoter of the US Grand Prix. And of course, that race isn't happening this year due to COVID. Um, but it seemed like a good opportunity to ask how that decision came about, how difficult it was, how Cota's coping and with the benefit of hindsight, whether it was the correct decision. It also is a good opportunity to talk to Bobby because we don't know what's happening with the US Grand Prix beyond 2021. Don't worry, there is a race scheduled for next year. But beyond that, Kota's original contract with F1 runs out. So I wanted to know how long is Kota going to hang around on the Formula 1 calendar? Is the plan to remain there? And also to get a general feel of what it's like to be a promoter in Formula 1. We hear so much from the teams and the drivers, but rarely do we hear from the circuit. So let's jump straight in and see what Bobby had to say on all of those issues and a few more. This time of year, we're usually getting very excited about going to Austin. It's that stretch of the calendar. I've seen loads of people on social media posting old photos and downtown Austin and stuff like that. So I think we're really missing Kota. Is is Kota missing F1 as well? A lot. Missing, missing, missing. And uh, it was a great weather weekend last weekend, which was our, uh, you know, it's always one of the big things when you get down as a promoter, what, do you, what are your concerns at the end? They're traffic and weather. And because uh, we, don't, we don't do the, uh, the on-course action. So it was a beautiful weekend. We would love to have seen everyone here. Now, it's great to see the circuit behind you there looking as good as ever, but there's no getting away from it. 2020 has been a pretty horrible year for all businesses, based around live events. So what's it been like for you guys and uh, how have you had to adapt? Well, it's, it's just been bad. I mean, it's, it's a terrible year. It's a virus that uh, has destroyed a lot of the economies for business and sports. And we've had a quiet year to hear the track uh, or to, to not hear the track has been a, a very disappointing thing. And we've had everything from uh, normally by now we would have had 400,000 people for concerts for the year. We would have had four nice big races, a couple of big international ones, and we'd have almost a million people through the gates and we're sitting at near zero. So it's, it's a disappointment. Now, of course, we uh, first heard that the race wouldn't be going ahead in July. Um, is that more or less when the decision was made or was it quite clear quite early on that the uncertainty <laughs> meant it wasn't going to happen? Oh, well, it, it meant that if things don't get better, it isn't going to happen. We knew that in February or March. And, you know, normally we go on sale with our tickets uh, in the spring. And while it wasn't sure it'd be canceled, we always hope things would get better. But at some point you have to say it's not going to, we're not going to get there in time. So uh-huh. we never, tickets never, we never did put tickets on sale. So we did recognize in March or April that it was in jeopardy. And it's a funny situation now because it's still awful, but we've seen in Texas that some places have been able to have fans back in, but 
we're talking limited capacity, stuff like that. So even if you had the benefit of hindsight, even if you could have known what you know now then, would it have made any sense? Would it have ever been possible to hold a race this year? It would have been possible, absolutely. We could have had the race, but would we have had the event and would we have had the spectacle that comes with having the 100,000 plus people on race day? That would have been impossible. And I think that's part of what makes it so special are the crowds, it is the fans, and uh, it's the overall experience for us. The race is the, the pinnacle of the, the weekend, but there's so much more to it. And I think, as you mentioned, you see pictures from fans that were here and show pictures of Austin uh, you know, on their timeline. And it's part of what, what makes it so special is to really capture those moments when, when everyone's together. So when it became clear that you wouldn't be able to go ahead, what happens? Is, is there a, a clause that covers this kind of thing in a, in a promoter contract? Does that exist? Or is there any kind of plan B that can get set in motion? You know, I think in a situation like this, you just hope level heads prevail and uh, you just got to use your sense. And, and yes, contracts are there, but there, there was no insurance contract to protect from the pandemic in our case. And there was no agreement between uh, F1 and the circuit as to exactly how to handle this situation. So you just, you approach it reasonably and you say, this is nobody's fault uh, and you hope it gets better and you look forward to next year. Yeah, I think we'll, Massively looking forward to next year. Um, as things stand, uh, Kota has that contract for the tenth year. I, I keep being so surprised over ten years at Kota. It's been fantastic. But it's, um, is that race still lined up, and is that going to go ahead as planned, as, as things oh. stand at the moment? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we we've got fantastic performers that were lined up for this year that are going to be part of next year's already. So we're 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 already. I mean, we just. Uh, a few things to go right in the world. And I think we may benefit in terms of the calendar. We may benefit from being in the fall. I, you know, I certainly hope by next fall, a year from now, we're able to get out and participate in things like we used to. And it would have been the last year of, of that 10 year contract. Um, does anything change there? Do you get an extra bonus year because you missed this year? Uh, can you talk about that at all? Well, level heads have to, level heads have to prevail. <laughs> People have to come together and do what makes the most sense. But uh, you know, the document says next year's the last race. And, and what happens after that? Um, you know, I mean, F1 in America, we could talk about this for hours, and I'd like to get your, your thoughts on it. But, um, but do, does F1 have a future at Cota 2022 onwards? I, I do. Yeah, I do talk about F1 in America for hours. So anytime you want to do that, I'm... I'm well oh, that's what we're here for. <laughs> ready for that. Uh, I absolutely think there should be a future here, you know, and I think that conversation is waiting to be had just when uh, Stefano comes on and, and then I think Chase and we'll all get together and figure out what the path forward looks like. And I, and I, I certainly think it's there right now. I think their focus has been on what's been somewhat of a heroic effort to just make this season happen and, and to face so much adversity in the spring as they've done and still get a season out of it and still get the product uh, out there has been a really, really, I think they've done a very good job. And, and I think that they'll focus on, you know, 22 and beyond when it's, when the right time, when it's the right time. And I think at this point we'll wait till the spring to have those conversations. Yeah, that's understandable. And when you look at Kota, I think so many motorsport fans associate it with Formula One, but you've got NASCAR coming next year and you've had MotoGP through the door. 
is it essential that F1 stays there? Could Coda continue without it? Well, Coda can continue without it, but that's not the, that's no one's goal. It's, uh, it's better with it. It's much better with it. And, and I was made for Formula One. I mean, you know, the, the, the whole track was really based on having Formula One in mind. And then the safety features actually go with MotoGP because they're, they're a little more stringent than Formula One is on, on what the bikers need. So it's, it's made for those international events. And I see no reason why it wouldn't be here. The fans have shown that they've embraced it. You know, there's been many attempts for Formula One in the U.S. in the past. And some have been more successful than others. But one, it's very hard to find longevity. And I think they found a home here. And I think uh, the fans have been wonderful. I think the drivers have responded well. I think the teams like Austin, it's a small town, but yet it's big enough to, to handle the crowds. And, and I say small, but you know, there's, uh, that's relative. And, uh, but it's small enough that I think the whole city can embrace the, the Grand Prix when it comes here. And I think that's what makes it so wonderful. Um, I think that has been one of the keys to success, hasn't it? Is that Austin never really was seen maybe as a motorsport town and then F1 came along and the two just hit it off. Uh, can you put uh, kind of words or can you explain why that chemistry came about? You were in the middle of it, you know, you've seen it firsthand. Well, we wouldn't have done it if we didn't think we lived in a place that, that people would enjoy. So first of all, you don't make an investment like this if you didn't at least uh, believe in it. And and we certainly believed in the community we live in and and, and Austin and it's it's a, a young, progressive, tech-oriented uh, place. It's an unusual city in the scope of Texas. It it kind of marches to its own drum, and and I, we thought we thought the fans would like it, and and I think they did. So one of the other things is that it's one hell of a track. You know, I mean, you talk to the drivers, you talk to the teams, you talk to the fans watching on TV, and everyone loves Cota, and I think one of the very few plus sides of this rearranged 2020 season is that we've seen F1 go to a bunch of new circuits, Mugello, Portimao, places like that. And we've really realized that, wait a minute, great circuits can make a fantastic calendar. So how important do you think it is that we have, you know, we have somewhere like Cota remaining on the calendar and, and, and how much of a um, good negotiating chip is that for you guys when you're talking to F1? Yeah, I, I think when, I think when Lewis Hamilton says it's his favorite track, you know, that, that to us is nice. And I, I think he says it, he, he could say it just because he always wins here, that, that could be part of why. But when you talk to him, it's really about the, the variations in the, in the circuit. And I think we saw that this weekend in Portugal about just how wonderful a challenging track can be and how interesting the racing can be and the opportunities for overtaking. Um, so I think F1, I think that the F1 community already knows that. I, I think there's no question and this is one of the better circuits um, to race on and makes for it it complements the sport they go well together i think what we learned this year that is critical that i think people didn't necessarily appreciate before is just the value of the permanent circuits right there's an inherent danger in planning events around temporary circuits and i think it's been often uh, the permanent circuit's been undervalued from that standpoint. So it's what this year has been able to do is to go back to some of those places, some of those places that made such a commitment to motorsports and, and existed for that, that have maybe been forgotten 
or, or maybe not been as appreciated as before and, uh, or as they should have been. And so I think that's one of the things that we've learned this year. I think that's something that a lot of fans would actually definitely agree with. But we've seen for so long that permanent circuits don't have it easy. It's not an easy business model. We've seen it with Silverstone. We've seen it with a number of circuits in Europe. Um, yeah, you guys have, have made it work and you've also really put an emphasis on making it, like I said, the show. So you've, you're not just going for the F1, you're going for shows and concerts and stuff. So how, how difficult is it uh, for a permanent circuit to, to exist uh, and, and how important is it to have F1 as part of it? How much does that become your halo event, your selling point? Yeah, I think it goes hand in hand. I think, I think F1 is very important. I think it helps establish your brand, um, but it also allows you to do those other things throughout the year that make it a profitable business. The, you really need both components. So, so F1 alone doesn't, that's not gonna make your, you're not gonna build a circuit for that and you're probably, you're, you're just, without the government as a partner, you're in, it's unlikely to make a, a great business model. But uh, together with the concerts, with the other races, with the private track rental events and other special events, then a permanent circuit can be viable. So if somebody came to you and said, look, I want to build a permanent circuit in say Thailand, would you say, yeah, go for it. You know, you're onto a winner or would you say, oh, hang on, wait a minute. You've got to think about quite a few factors here. Uh, well, I think, like Ecclestone used to say, you know, you're not going to make money at this. So let me just tell you up front before you do this. So when you do, don't, don't be surprised. I want to make sure you know you're going to lose money uh, at this. And I think that's what you probably should say to somebody in Thailand or anywhere. It's, it's a big undertaking. Yeah, I bet. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, Stefano's coming in. Stefano Domenicali will be the new F1 CEO at the start of next year. Chase Carey will be around, but he won't be in the same role. Um, when you look at what Chase has achieved from 2017 to now, uh, there's a huge amount. There's, I mean, this year, as you said earlier, massive accomplishment to get things back on the road. But one of their targets was to make F1 big in the US and it was to have a destination city and it was to build this audience. And while I think Cota's done a good job with that, I'd like to think ESPN's done, had a part as well. Why do you think it hasn't quite accelerated in the way that maybe Liberty hoped it would when they took on the sport in 2017? Well... The virus, for one, I think this year set a, a lot of things back a couple of years. Um, it's not easy to do, though. It's not easy to pull off, especially especially in, in the U.S. And I, I think it, it has been a success. I think what Liberty has done has been successful in that we've seen it. We sold out last year. We sold out and spent less money on marketing than we've spent in years because the sport is growing, because people enjoy it. They do appreciate the, the product that Liberty's, you know, that Formula One's putting on the track and the teams and the drivers and the show. So it's already a success. I think what we also found though, and you guys at ESPN probably can have uh, a takeaway from this, which is what you're doing has worked. What ESPN was doing was really helpful. But what we've also found is that having races in our time zone, that's critical. We took a big step back this year by not being able to bring F1 over. While it, it seems like that was, first of all, that was the prudent, correct business decision on their part. It's very expensive to travel. I'm not going to challenge that. 
but from a, advancing the sports standpoint, we take a big step backwards because we're not relevant the same way as when we do have a race. Uh, you know, you have five races in the Americas all in this time zone. That's good. You know, that's, that's a, that lets the fan really engage, and we missed that this year. So if Stefano comes to you and says, look, we, we were happy with the progress we made, but we want to go bigger, what would be your advice to, to take that next step in the US? Do, they, do we need another event? Do we need a street circuit like Miami's been talked about? Do we need something different? What, what would be your advice? My advice would be that they should build as many races in this time zone as they can, preferably have that other US race in June so that we can complement each other and not fight in a sense for the same fan. And, and I think we hopefully will have those conversations because it's, it's in our best interest to see the sport grow. And, and the more exposure the fans can have to it, I think the better. And it was always said when Bernie was in uh, Formula One that he brought in a lot of big money contracts with a lot of time with nations rather than individual companies and circuits. And it kind of skewed the market for races a little bit. So it made it so expensive for independent circuits, you know, having the likes of Abu Dhabi and Baku on there that, that they really struggled to compete. Did, do you get the sense that that's starting to balance out or when you consider we've got probably Saudi Arabia coming on next year, is that still as much an issue as it was then? I think that's a better question for Chase uh, and those guys as to what they're seeing in terms of demand. Uh, I don't think the business aspects of the racing have, have changed. It's, it's still expensive to put one on. It's still a lot of, it's a, a heavy sanction feed to, to try and, and, it's a big burden on the promoters, but as long as you only need 20 to 25 people or venues around the world that need to pay that amount, I think there's probably enough money to, to make that happen every year for them. And what's, um, what, what's your general feeling about F1 going forward? Because we're at this uh, point of transition. We've got new regulations coming in. Uh, they're doing an awful lot to try and kind of well, maybe it's not targeted at breaking Mercedes dominance, but things like the budget cap is designed like that. So what's your general feeling about F1? Do you think we're on the brink of something uh, that's going to explode, not just in the US, but worldwide? Has it, has it become an even bigger sport than, it, than we know it already is? Yeah, I think you have to decide at which point the fans are buying tickets because it's a show and an event and, a, and, a, and something to be at because there's, it's a spectacle it's a party, it's a celebration, and it's a sport? Or is it simply the competition on the track that makes it work? And I think we have found, uh, and first, let me just say, I love what they're trying to do to make it more competitive. There's no question, if you already know the winner, you're not going for the sport itself, and they know that. So we've gotta, we've gotta fix that, but that's not my, that's not my uh, task. And I think Ross and the other guys are gonna do great at that. But what we have to realize is it becomes an event. You look at 24-hour Le Mans. They have a massive crowd, 200,000 people. Look at the Indy 500, you get 300,000 people. The same cars with the same product can race elsewhere on a different weekend, and you don't have 10% of the number of people show up. 
So it's not simply about the product on the track. It's not all about the cars and the drivers. They're a huge component, but it is about capturing that something special that, that people want to come to and that history and tradition that get created and those, those friendships that keep coming back to the same place. Um, and so that's something you can't buy. You can't buy history and you can't buy tradition. And you can take the same product away from Silverstone and you could run it maybe on the streets of London, but you're not gonna have the same result. So once you've captured some magic, you gotta keep it. And uh, have you guys got, got a decent amount of magic there? Uh, a coater, is that? I think we've got something special. Your, your I think yeah. we, we hope so, we work all year. We work all year in anticipation of and trying to deliver that experience and to, to give people uh, great value for their money and a reason to come back. That's so, important. There's hundreds of people here that, that that's all their focus is, is to make sure people have a great experience. So for those people listening to this and they can't wait to see F1 cars in, in the US again, uh, what, what can they expect in 2021? Have you got plans in place or is it still coming together? We have, I think we just spent almost $8 million resurfacing the circuit in January because there had some bumps and some issues and some fair criticism about it. And so we were anxious to you know, you fix that and you, and you set the table for the party and then it gets postponed. So we're just, we're just waiting to show it off. And what about NASCAR uh, coming there? I mean, that's, that, that was quite a cool story. Um, what do you think racing's gonna look like with NASCARs? Because they're very, very different to an F1 car. Well, we've seen some of that here, just not been, uh, and, which is why the, the NASCAR drivers wanted to come do it. Uh, I think it's, it's totally different, obviously, than, and I think it'll be well-suited for it and it'll be fun. No, I mean, you get a lot of action. I think, I think they'll, they're gonna find some unique challenges here. Um, and they'll probably get a great appreciation for what some of the F1 drivers experience, um, just some of the G-forces around these turns. Uh, you don't think of that as happening in a, in a NASCAR, but, but they'll have it and, and there'll be a little bumping too. And what about IndyCar? Because IndyCar's not uh, turning up in 2021. Uh, what, what was the reason behind that? Well, I think, I think there was a combination of, of factors there. One being that race to happen in March, we have real concerns about the ability to fill the circuit up in February or March. And, and so I think, I think we had to be very frank about that. And, and uh, so the schedule you know, didn't, didn't turn out to, to accommodate either one of us. Um, just finally, we've seen uh, Lewis Hamilton take 92 wins. Looks like he's going to get seven world titles. Do, do you think there's a chance that maybe uh, this time next year he might be stealing his eighth title, Dakota? What do you make of his, of his records? You know, I don't think there's any stopping him as long as you've given him a car that can compete. You know, I think there's no question. I mean, the guy's phenomenal. And they tell me that if you put him if we put, let's say, 20 go-karts out that, on that track that are exactly the same, they still tell me Lewis would win. You know, I think a lot of, there's fair arguments to be made that, that there's plenty of other guys that'll be very competitive. I can't vouch for it, but I can only tell you that the guy's crushing everybody. Uh, I think it's certainly partially because of the car, but there's no question the man's got, got great skill. Now, I know you, you've got a go-kart track there. I'd love to see that as, a, as part of the Cota weekend. Put all the drivers in those rental carts and see how they get on. We would too. 
<laughs> maybe we'll forward it on to Stefano. We would, what you think. Yeah, yeah we, we got, Lewis was there for the ribbon cutting, but no one else showed up to race him. <laughs> well, maybe a second invite's in order. Absolutely.